When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fortsanopoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast about Tanopoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for joining us. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of our match on Sunday against Hellas Verona. In part two, we'll check how our competitors did on match day 19. And in part 3, we'll preview our Coppa Italia match against Spezia. So let's start with the match on Sunday. Here's how it went. Opportunity knocks in for Napoli at the bit to Godi. Milan beaten by Atalanta. And a chance for Lozano! Seven seconds on the clock. Irving Lozano profits from some dreadful defending from Federico Di Marco. Now that is very tight as to whether it was quicker than Rafael Liao's goal for Milan at Sassuolo. Straight from the kickoff, Demme tossed it forward. Di Marco, who's a makeshift centre-back, took his eye off the ball, missed his kick, and Lozano put it past Silvestri. That's where Di Marco's so good. Lovely ball to find Kalinic. Slightly behind Fareani. Still finds a cross, Di Marco! fabulous minutes of football in Verona. Napoli, one of the best attacking forces in the division. Verona can be shot shy, but they've looked ruthless and efficient in front of goal. And chances have come their way, back underway. Shoved over by Bakayoko, advantage played. Takanyi. This is Barak, he's wandered in and found the corner. Verona complete the turnaround. Great advantage from Michael Fabri. But Zakanyi with a piece of magic. Barak's run was timed perfectly. And he's 
did that with class. A reminder that prior to today, Verona had lost six on the spin against Napoli. They can yet be winning here. Mattia Zaccagni, Samuel Di Carmine sets himself. Beret did well. This is Lazovic. Zaccagni! There's the third. And with it, surely all three points. A stunning display from Ellis Verona. Ivan Juric got it spot on tactically. As you heard, Napoli lost this match 3-1. Chucky Lozano opened the scoring with his ninth of the season. Federico Di Marco equalized, Antonin Barak put Verona ahead, and Matias Zaccani put the final nail in the coffin. You couldn't have asked for a better start as a Napoli fan, with Lozano scoring from the opening kickoff and coming very close to Rafael Leao's record-setting goal against Sassuolo. But the match pretty much got worse and worse from there. And in the end, this was one of our worst performances of the season. Because of the goal, I don't think it was quite as bad as the Torino match, but I think it's right up there with the losses to Sassuolo, Milan, and Lazio. Gennaro Gattuso was completely outclassed by Ivan Juric, and with the loss to Juventus in the Supercopa, followed by this loss, he suddenly finds himself in the hot seat. Gattuso got a lot of things wrong in this match, but I don't think it's entirely on him. I think it's a lot on the players as well. Many of them, including our team captain, just did not show up. That could have a lot to do with who we played and how often they're playing. This wasn't just a Napoli loss, though it was also a Verona win, and you have to tip your hat to them. Verona were certainly deserving of the three points. They were the better team on the night. This result proved that good tactics will be good talent on most nights. They may have lost Amir Rahmani, Marash Kumbula, and Sofian Amrabat, but Antonin Barak has been a terrific signing, and players like Davide Faraoni, Matias Zakani, and Ivan Illich have really stepped up this season. They completely dominated our midfield who looked slow and tired. Zakani finished with a goal and an assist and showed why Napoli are so eager to sign him, even though at times it looked like we were trying to injure him. We committed five strong tackles on Zakani. In fact, all three yellow cards we got in this match were for fouls committed on him. We'll talk about all of that in this review. We'll also revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. As far as personnel goes, Verona had only one change to our predicted 11, but they did shift a few players around as well. Even Juric lined up his men in a 3-4-2-1 with Marco Silvestri in goal. With Adrian Temeze returning in the midfield, Federico Di Marco dropped to play on the left side of the three-man back line. Corey Gunter played on the right side and Pavel Davidovic played in the middle. Tamez lined up in the center of the midfield beside Ivan Ilich, who pushed Darko Lazovic out to the left wing. Davide Faraoni took his usual position on the right wing. The front three were exactly as expected, with Mattia Zakani and Antonin Barak playing in the two trequartisti positions behind Nikola Kalinic, who started at striker. Napoli had two changes compared to our predicted 11 and three changes compared to the 11 that started against Juventus in the Supercopa. Gennaro Gattuso lined up in his usual 4-2-3-1 once again. Nikola Maksimovic returned from his minor injury to give Kostas Manolas a break, so Amir Rachmani started on the bench against his former club. Of course, Kaladu Koulibaly played alongside him. As expected, LCQ side displaced Mario Rui at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right-back. 
The front six were exactly the same as in the Juve match. For the fourth consecutive match, Diego Demis started in the double pivot over Stanislav Lobotka, so I think we need to stop putting Lobotka in our starting 11. Demis started beside Tiamoy Bakayoko. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing. Chucky Lozano started on the right wing. Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot. And Andrea Petania started at striker. So those were the lineups. Next, let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match was that we needed to be aggressive in the attack. Despite scoring only 9 seconds into the match, I'm going to call this one a fail. That goal was great, but it was also largely because of some really poor defending by Federico Di Marco. But after the goal, Napoli seemed to drop it down a gear or two. This is something we talked to Gaetano about on the first episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide. Just like the Juve match, we looked very timid. After the goal, we really only tested Silvestri once, which was a Diego Demis shot in the first half. That's largely because, at times, it seemed like we just did not want to shoot. We had a decent spell of possession in and around the Verona area shortly after the restart, but no one wanted to take a shot and we ended up playing the ball out for a goal kick. Silvestri made a nice save to keep that Demis chance out, which wasn't a shock, we know how good of a goalkeeper he is. That's why I said we need to test him early and often in our preview. We had 12 shot attempts in this match and only 4 were on target including a Matteo Politano chip that Silvestri caught very easily. In the second half Andrea Petania made a great play to get past Gunter but instead of shooting he tried to lay the ball off to Mertens and Verona cleared the ball out of play. I know Petania was on his weaker foot there but I'd rather him test the keeper with a weak shot than not test him at all. Maybe you get lucky and pick the corner out or if you don't perhaps you get a rebound and follow up on that. Four shots on target simply is not good enough. Quite frankly, we were fortunate even to score one goal with numbers like that. Finally, there's something we do often that I know frustrates a lot of Napoli fans. We push forward and just when it looks like we're going to threaten the goal, we turn back. We saw Insigne do this in the 32nd minute where we broke on the counter and Insigne elected to slow the play down, turn back and regroup. We often start from the opponent's box and pass back to our defenders or even all the way back to our keeper and kill our own attack. Now typically I don't have a huge problem with playing the ball back but it was very frustrating to see in this match. In our preview we talked about how Verona is most vulnerable on the counterattack because that's the only time they give you space to pass the ball. When you play the ball back you give Verona time to get back and when they have numbers behind the ball they're very difficult to defend. That's exactly what we saw in this match. There were so many blue shirts crammed into a small area that often all we could do was pass the ball around the top of the box. That might work for teams that know how to play in a decent cross but as we were reminded in this match we're not one of those teams. Verona's stout defense is also a reason why I wanted to see Napoli press high which was our second key to the match. I wanted to see this for the same reason I wanted us to be aggressive on the counterattack because that's when Verona's defense is the most vulnerable. We saw that in their loss to Bologna but we did not do this either. We defended the same way in this match as we did in the Supercopa. It's almost like a slow press where we sit back and send one player to press the player on the ball then when that player makes a pass we send another player to press the guy receiving the pass. Any team that passes the ball quickly has no problem breaking us down and Verona did that. Now in our preview I did say I was concerned whether we would have the energy to sustain a press for long because of how much we've played lately and given our predicted 11. We definitely looked tired in this match and I'll get to that shortly when I talk about Gattuso. The final key to the match was we needed to quickly put that Juventus game behind us and focus on this one, especially Lorenzo Insigne. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one. I don't think that Juve game was necessarily weighing on our players' minds. 
but this performance was just as disappointing as that one was. In fact, for me, as someone who doesn't value the Supercopa all that much, this performance was even more disappointing. Insigne was barely involved, he had a few shot attempts come nowhere near the goal and ultimately was pulled after about an hour, and again, I think a lot of that has to do with our players being tired, so let's move on to talk about Gennaro Gattuso. After this loss, all the talk has been about whether Gattuso should be sacked. I've been a Gattuso defender for a while, and I still am, but to me this result falls squarely on his shoulders. I think he got a number of things wrong, starting with the lineup. Every time I post a predicted 11 with Lobotka or Politano in the starting 11, people tell me that Demme and Lozano have to play every game. Well, you know what happens when players play every game? They get tired, and we saw that on Sunday. Even though Lozano and Demme were probably our two best players, Demme was gassed and had to be removed, and Lozano probably should have been removed, but we needed him on to score. Let me summarize how much our key players have played after the winter mini-break. Koulibaly has played in the full 90 in 4 straight since returning from his injury. Di Lorenzo has played the full 90 in all 6 matches he was eligible for. The only game he didn't play was the Fiorentina one because he was suspended. Bakayoko has started in 6 of our last 7 matches. Demme has played all 4 games since Fabian tested positive, and this game was the only one that he got subbed off prior to the 85th minute, and Zielinski, Insigne, Lozano, and Petania have all started in 6 of our last 7 matches. Of course these guys are going to look tired because they are tired. You combine that with the fact that Verona had a full week to recover and we only had 3 days and it's no surprise that they were the first to every ball. Gattuso loves to say that this is not football playing every 3 days it's something else yet he starts the same guys every game and for that reason this is on him. Last season he rotated 6 or 7 guys between matches and we had a lot of success but I suppose that may have been because after we lost to Atalanta we really had nothing left to play for. The second thing Gattuso got wrong was his tactics. I touched on that in our 3 keys to the match. We didn't want to see the same passive timid approach we saw against Juventus but we saw it. Verona looked vulnerable after we scored that early goal and we should have stepped on their throats. Only a few minutes after the Lozano goal Zielinski got behind the Verona back line but nothing came of it. Insigne had a shot but he sent his volley to the moon and Demme had a chance off a nice counter attack but Lozano got in the way of the shot. After that we took our foot off the gas and we let Verona back into the match. On top of that we insist on playing out of the back with a formation that's designed for the long ball. Once again we saw our keeper and defenders conceding possession in dangerous areas trying to play out of the back including a Maximovic giveaway that nearly led to a goal. The last thing I think Gattuso got wrong was his substitutions. When Amir Rachmani started against Udinese and had a terrible half, Gattuso yanked him at the break. Yet, when Maximovic had a terrible half in this game, we left him in. I also thought we should have removed Insigne earlier because he was clearly not having a great game. I know he's our captain and that taking him out probably wouldn't have helped his confidence, but something needed to change. You could see even in the first half where this match was heading, I'm not going to pretend like I can do a better job than Gattuso, but I wanted him to take Insigne out, move Lozano to the left, and play Politano on the right. I also didn't love the idea of bringing in Osimhen and Mertens because clearly neither of them are 100% yet, it felt a little bit desperate to me but we really didn't have any other options. So Gattuso was outclassed by Ivan Juric, does that mean I think he should get the sack? Absolutely not. I talked about this on the Calcio guys last week and I'll repeat it again here. Even if we were to fire Gattuso, who would we replace him with? I see people saying Allegri, Spalletti and so on, none of those guys are taking a team over mid-season. 
You see a lot of people asking for Benitez to come back unless he takes a massive pay cut from the 13.5 million euros that he made at Dalian Pro in China. That's not going to happen either. The one manager that I could see being suitable for a caretaker role and only a caretaker role is Walter Mazzari and I don't think he offers that much more than Gattuso does so I'd rather let Gattuso see this one through and then look for a permanent replacement at the end of the season. But if we do that we cannot simply bring in a new manager. We need a project. We need to keep the manager for a few years and build a team that fits that project. Otherwise, we'll continue in this cycle of replacing managers every year and we'll get nowhere fast. The last thing I want to talk about is the players because I don't think this was entirely on Gattuso. We saw the same old mistakes that we've been seeing all season. I already touched on the lack of aggression or motivation. Other than Chucky Lozano, no one really seemed interested in winning this match. The only time we saw any sense of urgency was after we fell behind, which has been a common theme for us the last couple of seasons. We're almost better off allowing our opponent to score early on just to wake ourselves up and have plenty of time to play. Once again, we did not use Andrea Petania properly. He could never get into the game because the service to him was so poor. There was one sequence where he called for the ball in the air and Kusai completely ignored his request. Then he called for it again and Insigne played the ball way over his head. In addition to that, on all three goals we made fatal errors. The first started with Meret playing a pass straight to Antonin Barak. 11 passes later, the ball was in the back of the goal. Our defending was horrible, Insigne never tracked back to Mark Faraoni, so Husai had to shift over to Mark Faraoni, Koulibaly had to shift to Mark Barak, and Maksimovic had to shift to Mark Kalinic. Meanwhile, Di Lorenzo got pulled out of position by Lazovic and never got back. For some reason, Deme and Bakayoko were playing a zone defense while everyone else was man-marking, and Lozano stopped tracking back, which is why Di Marco and Zaccani were both wide open in front of the goal. On the second goal, Teimo Ibakayoko managed to make three errors on the same play. First, he conceded possession in the middle of the park. Then he ran straight through Samuel Di Carmina, tracking back. Credit to referee Michael Fabri for playing the advantage there. And third, he allowed Barak to get behind him. That was only partially on Bakayoko. Maksimovic should have helped since he was marking no one in front of the goal, but he was late to react. You also have to give Zakani and Barak credit. The ball from Zakani was perfect. Barak's first touch was sublime, and he finished with pinpoint precision. Finally, the third goal started with a wayward pass from Dries Mertens to start the counterattack. Meret made a good save on Di Carmine, but Lazovic was only there to collect the rebound because Kusai was casually jogging back. Maksimovic was on the goal line to cover for Meret, and Di Lorenzo was caught ball watching, not realizing Zakani was wide open for the header. Finally, in addition to the usual problems, we got a new one in this match as well. Normally when we fall behind, we do go at our opponents and the question is whether we can score or not, but in this match we looked completely out of sorts, we looked panicked, the game plan, if there was one, went straight out the window. I mentioned that players were trying to do it all on their own, and by the end of the match, we were just huffing the ball forward and hoping for the best. So all in all, this was a terrible match. The only good thing about this compressed schedule is we don't have to dwell in our sorrow for too long. Our next match is against Spezia. We'll preview that in part 3. But first, we'll check in on our main competitors in part 2. <laughs> Vicina a chi ne vena, i prova a non pensar, 
Bádu se těm vlka Noužor se portát Stuvěnte Já minu restenjente Hypoteče žerkám V semba Veče vrdy marín Da měnta A žorte čírá Gomu Jinde nůže Na semaj stáku Jeda Víga dženě Next, we'll take a look at how our main competitors did this round. Heading into the round, we were sitting in third place after a very favorable match day 18. We were 9 points back of Milan and 6 points back of Inter. Roma were tied with us on points, and Atalanta were 1 point back after their midweek draw to Udinese. Juve were tied with Atalanta on 33 points, and Lazio were 2 points back of them in 7th. Sassuolo was close behind in 8th place, and Hellas Verona were in 9th place on 27 points. Finally, Sampdoria rounded out the top half of the table. The match of the week was Milan against Atalanta, played at a packed San Siro. There were no fans in attendance, but the stadium was full of Minecraft characters after Milan signed a new sponsorship deal with the gaming company. Unfortunately, it didn't help Milan in this match. They were completely dominated by Atalanta, losing 3-0 on goals from Christian Romero, Josip Ilicic, and Duvan Zapata. Milan actually got off to a bright start. They tried to catch Atalanta with a direct attack from the opening kick like they did against Sassuolo, but it didn't come off. Ibrahimovic had a chance shortly after that, but he was just barely offside on the play, and Teo Hernandez played a dangerous ball into the area, but Barad Jimsiti got there before Zlatan did. After that, the momentum shifted in Atalanta's favor, and they never gave it back. I found it very interesting that Atalanta's centre-backs Jim City and Romero were making runs forward. Sure enough, one of them scored the opening goal of the match. Romero did really well to get behind Pierre Kalulu to win the header on Robin Gozin's cross. Romero placed his header down and below Donnarumma to put Atalanta ahead. Kalulu had a rough night. He had to be removed in the second half after taking a couple of knocks to the hip. With all of Milan's absences, including Alessio Romagnoli, who was serving a suspension for yellow card accumulation, Matteo Musacchio made a rare appearance in place of Kalulu. Atalanta looked much more lively with their regulars back in the starting 11, after many of them started on the bench against Udinese. Ilicic tested Donnarumma with a well-hit free kick close to the break, but the Milan keeper made the save. Early in the second half, Ilicic won a penalty against the team who's been awarded the most penalties in the league. Frank Kessie got his arm up on Ilicic. It certainly wasn't intentional, but Ilicic had the busted lip to prove it. Ilicic took the penalty himself and scored to put Atalanta up by two. Milan certainly tried to win a penalty of their own, but to no avail. Pioli did what he could to give his team a boost. In the 70th minute, he brought in Antti Rebic, who made his first appearance since contracting COVID. He also brought in Mario Mandzukic, who made his first appearance since joining Milan. He nearly scored within a minute of coming on, but Pierluigi Golini made an excellent save. Duvan Zapata put the game away in the 77th minute. He now has 8 on the season, 6 of which were scored in his last 8 matches. Romero got an assist on that play to go along with his goal. Credit to Milan for continuing to play even after this match was out of reach. Brahim Diaz came close late in the match, including a shot that hit the outside of the post. 
and stayed out. So with Milan losing, everyone else got an opportunity to close the gap. Heading into the round, Inter were only 3 points back. They played against Udinese at the same time that Milan were playing against Atalanta. The reason for that is because the Milan teams are playing each other in the Coppa Italia midweek. For the second time in 4 days, Udinese held a Nerazzurri club to a draw. They drew Atalanta midweek 1-1 and they held Inter to a scoreless draw in this one. I was a little surprised to see Kevin Lasagna start this match given his impending move to Verona. Both sides had their chances in this match. Inter's best chance came in the first half when Rodrigo Becao played a pass straight to Lautaro Martinez at the top of the Udinese box. Lautaro got a decent shot on target but one Musso bailed out his defender with a fantastic save. Lautaro had Romelu Lukaku open and had he squared the ball Lukaku probably had a tap in but I don't think Lautaro saw Lukaku there and I don't have a problem with him taking the shot. Nicolo Barella came close with a volley from the top of the box. It was very similar to the goal he scored against Cagliari earlier this year, but from a bit further out, he hit the ball sweetly, but it bent and dipped just wide of the mark. Ashraf Hakimi had a chance in the second half after he skipped past Samir on the right side, but he too was unable to hit the target. Udinese has really mastered the defend and counter approach under Luca Gotti. They defended really well in this match and made it extremely difficult for Inter to break through. They didn't really create any clear-cut chances on the counterattack, but they did have a few half chances. Early in the match, Rodrigo De Paul played a dangerous cross into the area, but Jens Strieger Larsen couldn't keep his header down. And early in the second half, De Paul picked out Lasagna in the box. He did well to lay the ball off to Roberto Pereira, but the Argentinian got under the volley and skied it over the bar. Other than that, the only other highlight worth mentioning was the drama between Antonio Conte and match official Fabio Maresca at the end of the match. Conte wasn't happy that only 4 minutes of stoppage time were added. Maresca gave him a warning for protesting and when Conte didn't stop he was shown a red. As he was walking away, Conte kept yelling, es sempre tu, it's always you, even on the VAR it's always you. That was a reference to the Inter match against Parma earlier this season when Botan Balog appeared to foul Ivan Perisic in the area but it wasn't given. Maresca was on the VAR for that game and he didn't call official Marco Piccinini to have a look and both of them were suspended for a match. After the final whistle, Conte's technical director Gabriele Oriali was shown a red card as well for protesting to the match director and apparently the conversation continued into the tunnel with Maresca repeatedly saying you have to learn how to accept when you don't win to Inter's assistant coach Christian Stellini and captain Samir Handanovic who both had to be physically restrained. Personally, I didn't think Maresca was all that bad in this match. I think Conte was just frustrated with the result and the missed opportunity to catch Milan. The latest reports are that Conte has been suspended for two matches. Moving on, Roma played Spezia for the second time this week. The two clubs met midweek in the Coppa Italia. Both sides were without key players. Edin Dzeko, Pedro, Henrik Mkhitaryan, and Gianluca Mancini were all out for Roma, while Mbala and Zola was out for Spezia. This was a wild match that finished in a 4-3 win for Roma. Borja Mayoral scored a brace and Rick Karsdorp and Lorenzo Pellegrini scored the other two. Roberto Piccoli, Diego Farias and Daniele Verde scored for Spezia. Both teams did some things really well in this match and both teams made some pretty costly mistakes. I thought Leonardo Spinazzola was one of Roma's best players once again. Right from the opening minute he was involved in the action using his quick feet to dribble through Spezia's back line. He also played some lovely balls over the top which appeared to be a part of Roma's game plan. One of those balls led to the first goal. Somehow both Pellegrini and Mayoral got behind Spezia's back line. Pellegrini eventually squared for Mayoral who confidently finished past even Provedel. 
So that was certainly a bright start for Roma, but only 7 minutes later they gave the goal right back. Giulio Maggiore played a ball over the top intended for Diego Farias. Marash Kumbula tried to clear the ball but headed off a smalling and it fell back to Farias. He got a weak shot off but Lopez was very slow to get to it and then when he did he pushed the ball straight into the path of Piccoli who scored the equalizer. Unfortunately for Piccoli he appeared to pull his hamstring shortly after scoring and had to be removed from the match. Then we saw more of the good from Roma. They were really exposing Spezia in the middle of the field. Both Pellegrini and Mayoral had chances from the top of the box but both missed the target. As much as Roma scored in this match, they also squandered their fair share of chances. Roma came out strong after the break, scoring twice in 3 minutes. Mayoral scored the second goal as well, that's his second brace of the season. Jordan Vertu played a lovely through ball but Mayoral did most of the work. He cut in to lose Julian Shabbat and then quickly fired a low shot past Provadel. Spinazzola and Mayoral linked up to set up Roma's third goal. They played a clever given goal along the line with Spinazzola starting the run in Roma's half. He carried the ball all the way to the byline before picking out Karsdorp's late run to the back post. Full credit though to Vincenzo Italiano. Immediately after that third goal, he made two quick substitutions and Spezia pulled one back right away. The subs were not involved in the goal but it showed a willingness from Italiano to go after it, which is something we don't see enough of including from the big clubs and certainly including from Napoli. Once again, Kumbula was exposed on the goal. Farias completely spun him before firing a low shot past Paul Lopez. In the 80th minute, Italiano replaced Emmanuel Ghiassi with Daniele Verde, the same Roma youth player that scored the winner against Roma in the Coppa Italia, and sure enough, in the final minute of regulation, he scored the equalizer. Once again, there was really poor defending from Roma on the play. Chris Smalling completely whiffed on the clearance, which allowed Verde to get through to the goal. Just when it looked like Spezia were going to steal a point, Roma went back ahead. This time it was Spezia's defending that was poor. Ricardo Marchizia mistimed his jump on the Spinazzola cross, which fell for Bruno Perez. He calmly took the ball down on his chest before scoring to Vertu, who put the ball in the back of the goal. So Roma, and especially Paolo Fonseca, really dodged a bullet in this match. With the win, Roma gained ground on both Inter and Milan in the race for the Scudetto. Juventus also gained ground with their 2-0 win over Bologna. Artur and Weston McKennie scored the goals for Juve. Juve opened the scoring in the 15th minute. That play actually started with a chance for Roberto Soriano in front of the Juventus goal, but he couldn't reach the ball. Juve quickly broke the other way with Federico Bernardeschi and Cristiano Ronaldo. He laid it off to Artur, whose long-distance effort deflected off Jordi shooting and into the back of the goal. The initial shot looked like it was going to miss the target, and Lukas Skorupski had already dove and could do nothing but watch the shot roll into the back of the goal. Credit to Bologna for pushing forward in search of the equalizer, but it seemed every time they did, Juve countered with acres of space to play in. Somehow Juve did not score a second in the first half. Juan Cuadrado had a glorious chance in the 32nd minute, but he skied his shot from close range over the bar. Bologna certainly had their chances, particularly in the first 15 minutes of the second half, but they just could not score. Their best chance came minutes into the second half, but the chance didn't come from a Bologna player. Cuadrado headed his attempted clearance straight on target, but Wojtek Szczesny made a great reaction save to keep the ball out. He's been phenomenal for Juve lately. We saw that firsthand in the Supercopa. Shortly after that, Musa Barrow had a decent effort stopped by Szczesny as well. We need to see more of that from him driving into the middle of the box. Finally, Szczesny made another save on Ricardo Orsolini's bending shot. 
Nicola Sansone had an effort, missed the target as well. Bologna could have easily tied the match during this stretch, but they weren't able to convert. Skorupski was not to be outdone. He made a really nice save on Cuadrado as well as on Morata from a sharp angle. However, that save led to the corner kick on which McKinney scored his fourth goal of the season. He was the clear man of the match and is looking like a steal for Juventus. He's quickly become Juve's most reliable midfielder with Rodrigo Bentancur, Adrian Rabiot, and Artur rotating in and out of the lineup. Those four goals have been huge with Juventus missing Paulo Dybala's production this season. He's really the only Juventus midfielder to score any goals. Artur did get his first in this match, and though I do think he had a decent match, he was fairly lucky to score, and even luckier that he did not pick up a second yellow. Who knows how this game would have gone had he picked up that second yellow. I suspect with the way Bologna were finishing it probably wouldn't have made a difference. As much as I hate Juventus, you have to give them credit for seizing the opportunity. Like it or not, they have the winning mentality that we currently lack. They smelled blood here and they took their points, which is something we could not do. Granted, Hellas Verona is a much better team than Bologna and even Juric is a much better coach than Sinisa Mihailovic, but at the end of the day, Juve got the job done and we did not. Finally, Lazio got a big win over Sassuolo in the penultimate match of the round. Lazio were playing without Luis Alberto, who had an emergency appendectomy earlier in the week. Lazio came out on top with a 2-1 victory on goals from their big guns, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Chiro Immobile, while Sassuolo got a goal from their big gun, Chicho Caputo. Sassuolo opened the scoring very early in the match. Even though it involved only a few players, I thought this was a really nice team goal. It started with Marlon getting up to win a header on Stefan Radu's long ball. Manuel Locatelli received the header and played a gorgeous ball as he's prone to do to Hamid Traore. Traore played Filip Juricic on the left side of the box and he cut the ball back to Chicho Caputo. Caputo made the most impressive play on the goal, which was a very simple one. He calmly took a touch and let Pepe Reina guess before he placed his shot into the back of the goal. Only true strikers have the composure to take a touch like that. Unfortunately for Sassuolo, they were the second best team for the rest of the match. Lazio responded really well. Yaukin Correa missed a few chances before the sergeant equalized from a corner kick. In fact, one of those Correa chances led to that corner kick, and that chance was created by Milinkovic Savic, who made a beautiful tackle to dispossess Manuel Locatelli in the middle of the park. Milinkovic Savic really stepped up in the absence of Luis Alberto. Now, I thought the first half was a bit more entertaining than the second. The Zerbi did a good job of settling his team down and the match became a little bit of a chess battle after that. Once again, Chiro Immobile stepped up when his team needed it the most. I saw some Laziali hating on John Daniel Akpra Akpro. I didn't think he was that bad in this match. Obviously, if you were expecting a Luis Alberto performance from him, then you would be disappointed, but you shouldn't have expected that in the first place. Akpa Akpro made a major contribution in the match. He won possession in the middle of the field to start the play that led to Immobile's goal. Lazio came close to scoring a third late in the match. Andrea Consigli stopped Vedat Murici's shot, and the rebound fell for Gonzalo Escalante, but somehow he missed a wide-open target. Murici looked good again in the short period that he was on, so maybe things are starting to turn around for him after a pretty tough start. I was almost expecting Sassuolo to come back and equalize after such a terrible miss from Escalante, but they didn't have it in them. They've really struggled without Domenico Berardi in the squad, and Jeremy Boga seems to have been relegated to the bench behind Traore. So Lazio continue their hot streak. They've won four straight games in Serie A, including tough ones against Roma and Sassuolo, and five straight in all competitions. 
Meanwhile, Sassuolo continued to slide. They have four losses and two draws, so eight points in their last eight matches. Mind you, they've had a pretty tough schedule lately. Those losses came against Milan, Atalanta, Juventus, and now Lazio. So rounding up the week, Inter missed an opportunity to pull level with Milan, which means we don't have to debate who the winter champions are. That title goes to Milan. Roma reduced the gap on Milan to 6 points, while Juve and Atalanta are now 7 points back. With our loss, we drop back down to 6th place, and Lazio have caught up to us. We're both on 34 points, but we have a game in hand. Only 3 points separate 3rd place Roma from 7th place Lazio. Hellas Verona moved up to 8th with their win over us, and Sassuolo are now in 9th place, and Sampdoria maintained their final spot in the top 10 with their 2-0 win over Parma. So that will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our Coppa Italia match against Spezia. final part we'll do a quick preview of our match against Spezia since the first two parts were a bit longer than they usually are. We're only three weeks removed from the last match we played against Spezia which of course was a tough 2-1 defeat. Under no circumstances is it okay to lose to Spezia but since beating us they have been in fine form. They followed that game up with a win over Sampdoria, a draw to Torino which perhaps wasn't a great result but then they had back-to-back strong performances against Roma. First they eliminated Roma from the Coppa Italia which is why we are playing them in the quarterfinals. Then they came close to stealing a draw from Roma in Serie A after scoring a late equalizer before conceding a late winner. Spezia will be missing some key players due to injury including Mbala and Zola and Ricardo Saponara but they still have many quality players in their squad even if most people have never heard of them. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Spezia's lineup is very difficult to predict. To this point, they've used effectively their B team in the Coppa Italia so they can focus on Serie A, presumably because they figured they're a long shot to win the cup. I wonder if they will change their approach after reaching this stage and knowing that they've already beaten Napoli once this season. I'm going to guess that they stick with the same approach because they're still very much a long shot to win the Copa and they have a big match coming up on the weekend against Udinese. At the end of the day, just like qualifying for the Champions League is extremely important for us financially, staying up in Serie A is extremely important for Spezia financially. So I'm expecting Vincenzo Italiano to use the same squad he used in Spezia's last Copa Italia match lined up in a 4-3-3. In that match, Martin Ehrlich and Ardian Ismaili played at centre-back, Juan Ramos played at left back and Luca Vignali played at right back. Leo Senya played in the center of the midfield with Alessandro Deola to his left and Giulio Maggiore to his right. Ricardo Saponara played on the left wing against Roma but he has a muscle injury so Diego Farias would likely start in his place. Kevin Agudelo played on the right wing and finally Andrei Galabinov 
started at striker. For Napoli, the rumor going around is that Gattuso will finally go back to the 4-3-3 for this match. Normally, I would suggest that we play our backups for this match, but given the pressure Gattuso is now under and the fact that our next match in Serie A is against Padma, I think we'll see our best 11 here. I'm going to go with Alex Meret to get another start in goal. Kostas Manolas should return at center back after having a game off. He will be paired with Kalidou Koulibaly. I think we'll see Mario Rui start at left back over Elcid Kusai and Giovanni Di Lorenzo should start again at right back. With the three men midfield, I think we'll see Diego Demme lined up as the regista. Piotr Zielinski will drop from the number 10 to play on the left side of the midfield. And with Fabian still positive for COVID, I think we might see Elcid Kusai play on the right side, though I wouldn't be surprised to see Stanislav Lobotka as part of the three men midfield either. Up top, Lorenzo Insigne should return to the left side after coming off early against Hellas Verona. As much as I want to see Matteo Politano get some time, I think we'll see Chucky Lozano start again on the right. Finally, with Mertens still not looking 100%, and with Andrea Petania also coming off a bit early against Verona, I think we'll see Petania start at striker. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's take a look at our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match is we need to finish our chances. The last time we played against Spezia, we had 27 shot attempts, 11 on target, 7 off target, and 9 were blocked. By my count, we had 8 clear-cut scoring opportunities and only scored on one of them. Even for this team, I think most games where we have that many shot attempts and that many chances, we're going to score more than one goal, so we need to do the same thing in this match. Spezia play a very positive brand of football, which makes them very entertaining to watch because they will create their chances, but they'll also concede them at the same time. Our last match against Spezia was the one that started Insigne's goal drought, if you can call it that. He's actually scored three goals since then, so it's not really a drought, but two of those goals came from the penalty spot, and that was the first game where Insigne got into his own head a little bit. Our second key to the match is to not make Spezia's life easier than it needs to be. We certainly did this last time we played them by conceding a penalty on the first goal and with some really suspect defending on the second. Sampdoria also conceded a penalty to Spezia in their match with the score tied 1-1 so that penalty proved to be the winner. And we saw Roma concede three times to Spezia in their match after some really poor defensive plays. Spezia have the quality to score goals so we don't need to make their lives any easier than they need to be. The final key to the match is we need to play from start to finish. This Spezia side has showed time and time again that they are never out of it. Again, the two games that come to mind are our loss to them, where they scored the winner despite being a man down, and their recent loss to Roma. They were down 3-1 and fought back to draw level before conceding the late winner. To me, that means we need to keep attacking even if we score. The way things have been going lately, we cannot rely on a single goal. We'll need two or three to feel comfortable. We can't do what we did against Hellas Verona where we scored the early goal and then sat back. The head official for this match is Francesco Forno. His assistants are Mauro Galletto and Luigi Rossi. The fourth official is Juan Luca Sacchi and Luigi Nasca is on the VAR, assisted by Federico Longo. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-0 Napoli win. I'll give Lorenzo Insigne his 100th goal for the club and a brace for Chucky Lozano. I think if there was anything that could motivate this team to play harder, it's the rumors that Gattuso's job is now on the line. These players have nothing but love for Mr. Gattuso, and I think they will show that with their play on the pitch. We saw against Atalanta and against Roma that when they are truly motivated, they can be damn near unstoppable. For some reason, they are far more difficult to motivate than they should be. 
even though Mertens and Osman are not quite themselves yet, I think just having them in the squad will be encouraging. I know they were in the squad against Hellas Verona, but they probably shouldn't have played in that match. I don't expect either of them to start, but every day they get closer to full fitness, which is only good for this team. Had it not been for the loss to Hellas Verona and the speculation about Gattuso that has ensued, I don't think we would be playing our best 11 here, but this match is essentially a must-win. Meanwhile, I don't think Spezia will play their best 11, so really this should be an easy win for us. Now I hesitate to say that because for whatever reason we seem to blow the games that should be easy to win, so hopefully we'll put a stop to that here. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode, if you liked what you heard please share it with your friends and give us a 5 star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll be recording our next episode of the Fortsanopoli Worldwide series on Friday, so keep an eye out for that as well. We'll talk to you again later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one against Parma, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Napoli sempre! said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.